One of my personal favorites, Psalm 139. I believe this is a great passage of scripture for us to look at this morning as we start into a special, uh, a special week. You know, many times a week like this is called revival. Um, uh, I'm, I'm okay with that word. I just know that, and I hope everyone understands, and I'm sure you do because Pastor made quite a point of this earlier, um, we can't bring revival. Um, revival, we can have meetings, uh, we can set aside time, um, but really a, a working of the Spirit of God in our midst um, is something that only God can do. I do believe that we can put ourselves in a place, though, where, um, where we are ready and waiting for Him to do His working. And that's really what we're going to look at this morning in Psalm 139. And I hope that this will be a help to us. I really want us to we're not going to have time to, 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 to touch on every nuance of this chapter. I'm not going anywhere else. We're going to stay right here. I believe that God has something for us right here in Psalm 139. Um, we don't need to be anywhere else this morning, just right here. We're going to see where he starts. We're going to see where he finishes, and we're going to see what he does in order to get there and how it is that he gets there. I want us to look at Psalm 139. As David is really giving us a psalm of acknowledgement, a, uh, a psalm of recognition of who God is, some big thoughts of God, big understanding of who God is that David had. And I just want us to see this as we begin, that when you understand who God is and you look at the bigness of who God is, there are some things that we need to reckon with. There are some realities that we have to deal with when we understand who God is. We'll just look at the first six verses together. It says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down that aren't acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Shall we pray this morning and ask God to help us as we look at his word? Father, we come to you. Lord, we just sang a few moments ago and prayed corporately all together that you would be our vision. Lord, that you would be our wisdom. Lord, that you, O high King of heaven, would be our everything. And Lord, I pray that you will help us now as we come to your word. Lord, I pray that you will open up the eyes for understanding. God, I pray that you will help us to behold wonderful things out of your law. Lord, I pray that you will, oh God, take your word and plant it deep within us. Lord, would you please shape and fashion us into the likeness of your Son. God, we ask that you would meet with us this morning. We ask that you would use your word to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would have the willing hearts that David has as we come to the end of this psalm. God, would you please help us? And we commit ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. Let me begin just asking uh, a little question. Did you ever wonder, as you were growing up, did you ever wonder if your mother had eyes in the back of her head? My children have definitely wondered if their mom has eyes in the back of, their, of, of her head. Um, my daughter, Ella, uh, she's not here this morning. She will be here uh, later this afternoon. But um, when she was just a little girl, uh, I don't know if you folks saw our trailer down here. We were, uh, our trailer, we travel in a fifth wheel trailer. 
uh, when we're on the road, we're on the road seven months a year. And, um, and so when we are traveling, uh, we're in our trailer. And when she was just a little girl, she had gotten into mommy's makeup. She knew she wasn't supposed to get into mommy's makeup. She comes downstairs. Now, you understand downstairs in a trailer, that's two steps. Doink, doink, you're downstairs. Doink, doink, you're upstairs. That's what we call it, though, upstairs, downstairs. She comes from our upstairs area um, where our bedroom is and our bathroom is, and she comes down into our, our, uh, our, our, our more general living area. And, um, and she comes down. It's very obvious, as probably a little four- or five-year-old, that she had gotten into mommy's makeup. She'd gotten into mommy's lipstick. And mommy looked at her and said, Ella, did you get into mommy's lipstick? And she goes, why, no, mommy. And she said, Ella, I'm going to give you one more chance, sweetie, to tell the truth. Did you get into mommy's lipstick? She said, no, mommy. And so she gently took her to the mirror so she could see the, the lipstick all over her face, busted. Have you ever been busted? you ever been busted? You know, my son Asher, very similar. He was, uh, he was probably the same age, four or five years old. Someone had given us this little basket of goodies, this welcome basket. It had some fruit and it had some snacks. It had these little chocolate mini candy bars. And um, one morning he wanted one. And uh, my wife said, no, buddy, maybe after lunch. It's still morning time. Maybe after lunch you can have one. She moved somewhere in the trailer, stepped out of the trailer, something. She comes back into our little kitchen area. It's very obvious he had gotten into the chocolates. This little stool that he would use to give him access, you know, access to the next layer of life, it had been pulled over close. And uh, the chocolates had been pulled out. There's empty wrapper laying there, chocolate missing. She looked at him and said, Asher, James Coffee." Did you get into that chocolate? And he goes, did you see me? (laughs) Busted. Have you ever been busted? Now, folks, let me tell you what David's doing. And we're going to deal with the words of David here. But we're going to. When you deal with what David says about God right here, can I tell you something that is absolutely undeniable? It's really this truth. When you understand what David says about God right here, every single last one of us have been busted. Folks, every one of us. It says in verse number one, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. The terminology there that God has searched, the Bible tells us that God searches the hearts of men. Now, this doesn't mean that there was a time he didn't know, so God had to diligently go on a search in order to know. There was never a time that he doesn't know. But it does show the intentional nature. God wants to know us, and he does know us. He's not just a God who, blind, who could and, and doesn't really care. No, he knows and he wants to know and he searches our hearts and he searches our minds. He knows us. Many times when we think about this truth, you know what the natural tendency is of the natural man? I mean, this is almost like the, uh, you know, it's the classic news flash where, where all of a sudden humanity feels like a fugitive running from the law. We feel like we've been found out. You know, a fugitive, he can run from the law. He can outsmart the cops. Maybe he can even outsmart their dogs as he doubles back and crosses his own path to throw off his scent. But then they bring in the chopper and the spotlight comes on. And my friend, from that point forward, he can run, but he cannot hide. Can I tell you something about the presence of God? My friend, he knows everything. Thing there is to know about me and you. He knows. Now I have a question, and I'm going to use this terminology a little bit this morning. The natural man. The natural man. What is the natural tendency of the natural man when he feels like a spotlight has been turned on and he has been found out. What's the natural inclination of the natural man? When we feel like we've been found out, what does mankind want to do? We want to run. We want to hide. It's been going on for a long time, right? This isn't new. Matter of fact, just in Sunday school, for those of you who were here, we were talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Perfect people, perfect environment, 
perfect minds, perfect bodies, perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with their creator. Everything was perfect. They ran to him every day of their existence. And then they sinned against him. And immediately, instead of running to him, they ran from him. They covered themselves. They hid. And can I tell you something, folks? Since the, since the fall of man, it has been going on. Nothing has changed. Humanity hides. It's the natural inclination of the natural man when you think about and understand what David is saying about God right here. That God has searched and God knows. Some people hide behind, you know, the lie of atheism. I'm just going to pretend there is no God. The Bible says, no, no, no. Man is without excuse because God has declared who he is everywhere. It is a lie. But the atheist is hiding behind it, saying, I'm just going to pretend there is no God. Maybe he'll go away. On the other side, you have the religious And just to be totally honest, this would be the tendency. We hide. We have our own way. I have my own way of hiding. You know what? We can hide behind our religion. We can hide behind our righteousness, our own righteousness. We we kind of tend to go through life saying, hey, everything's fine over here, God. Oh, no, no, no. You don't need to search too deep. Everything's good over here. We have a tendency to not let God search not want God to search the deepest parts of who we are. But my friend, please understand me. It doesn't matter if we want him to or not. He already has searched. He already knows. Um, it reminds me of a, of a friend of mine when I was, uh, that I, I went to Bob Jones with, actually. Um, we, we were good friends in undergrad, and then um, I, I continued on and went to seminary, and then he had started a lawn maintenance business there in town, and he just kept on rolling with it because he was doing such a good, doing so well and making money. And uh, as a guy I used to see every day, uh, he was in my dorm. And then, you know, I hadn't seen him in, in months and months. And I bump into him at a store uh, one day down in Greenville. And, uh, and we, we just started uh, talking. And he said, Aaron, he said, you've got to come see where I'm living. He said, I've been cutting this lady's uh, yard and taking care of it. She, she lives in this huge mansion. It was this mansion over on the, on the old historic part of town. And when he started telling about it, I knew what house he was talking about. And, and he, um, he said, you got to come see it. This, this, she's a widowed lady, and her son lives with her, but her son's happened to move away because of his job. But she's asked me if I'll come and live in the basement apartment. She doesn't want to be there by herself. And, and so he said, Aaron, I've got this basement apartment. I live there for free. I've got a pool right outside the back of my apartment. He said, it's, it's, it's incredible. you got to come see it. Well, he lived on the other side of town from where I lived, and I just I hadn't had a chance to go over there. One night late, I was over close to him, and I'm like, man, I'm going to pop in and see my buddy John. I want to see this place. It had been several weeks, and I, I'm, I'm over on that side of town, and as I, as, I, as I pulled up to the house, the lights were on. It was later at night, and I see lights on in the basement. I see his car around on the side, so I kind of made my way around to the back. I, I knocked on the door, and John comes. I'm like, dude, this place is incredible. I said, how's it going here? He said, well, he said, actually, I'm getting ready to leave. He said, I'm getting ready to move out. I said, why? He said, come here and I'll show you. We go to this door and we open it up and we started walking up these steps. It was pitch black. We were, we were going up the, these steps to the first floor from the basement. And when we walked into this room, it was, it was dark. I didn't know where we were. It turns out we were in the kitchen. But when he turned the lights on, my friend, I'm telling you, if there was one, there was 200 cockroaches. And they're going everywhere. I'm talking, they are running all around our feet. Now listen, I, I, I grew up, I love hunting, fishing. I'm a big outdoorsman. I am not afraid of bugs. But man, I freaked out. I'm like, whoa, man. I mean, they're running everywhere. They're all around our feet. It was bad. Folks, what is the natural tendency of the natural man when the, when the spiritual lights are turned on and he feels exposed? I'm telling you, the tendency of the natural man is to be very uncomfortable and to want to scurry. But my friend, please understand, it does no good because God knows everything there is to know about me and you. He knows the menial parts of your life. Look at verse number two. It says, verse number two, it says, thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. 
He knows when you sit down. He knows when you rise up. That sure doesn't seem to matter very much, but he knows. But look how deep the rabbit hole goes. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Folks, your thoughts. Aren't you thankful that your thoughts are a pretty uh, private part of your existence? Aren't you thankful everybody doesn't know what you're thinking? I mean, you can be married for years and years and years, and you, and you know, you and your spouse can say, oh man, I know what he's thinking. Do you really? Folks, our thoughts is a, it is a private part of our existence that no one knows. But God does. If we were going to throw up your, a running reel of your thoughts from the last 24 hours up on the screen for all to see, how would you feel about that? I don't know about you. I'd be making like a cockroach. I'd be getting out of here. I don't want you folks knowing what I've been thinking. I might have convinced you already that I'm a little more spiritual than I really am. Folks, we don't want people knowing what we've been thinking. But it's too bad, it's too late, my friend. God already knows. Verse number three. It says, thou compassest my path and my lying down. This phrase, and art acquainted with all my ways. It carries the idea of not just what we do, but who we are. He knows who we are. He knows my personality. He knows my quirks. He knows my idiosyncrasies. He knows you better than anyone else knows you. He knows you better than your parents know you. He knows you better than your spouse knows you. Listen to this, folks. He knows you better than you know you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows. Verse number four, he knows everything we say. There's not a word, O Lord, There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. He knows what I say. He knows what I mumble beneath my breath because I don't want anybody else to know I said it. My friend, he knows. Please, don't worry. I'll come back to him. I'm going to jump over five and six right here. Look at verse number seven. Just, just, and, and, and let me just say this. I know, please hang in there with me. I know that I've got some work to do to make sure we get to the heart of what David is really saying here. But just look at the words of the text. Verse seven, where can you go to get away from this? Verse number seven. Whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, my friend, where can you go where God's eye does not see? Where can you go? My friend, we have a God who knows everything there is to know. He hears He sees. And my friend, there is nowhere you can go to get away from it. Now, let me just ask you a question, okay? Um, I just want to stop right here and just ask a question. How does this make you, how does this make you feel? Okay, can I talk about your feelings for a minute? How does it make you feel when you think about the fact that God sees all? He knows those thoughts from yesterday afternoon. He knows the secrets of your heart. He sees, he knows, he hears, and there is nowhere you can go to get away from it. He knows the bitterness that you hide behind your smile. He knows. My friend, how does it make you feel when you think about this all-seeing eye, this all-hearing ear, this all-knowing mind of God? Can I tell you something about the natural man? The natural man is going to feel extremely uncomfortable with this. You know the phrase, you ever had somebody who was breathing down your neck? What does that mean? You know, have you ever had a supervisor who was breathing down your neck? I mean, you're just trying to get your work done. It means they're right here. I mean, you're just, you know, you're just like, (laughs) he's like, you can feel his breath on the back of your neck. He's like, man, would you just give me some space? That guy's really breathing down my neck. Folks, do you understand that the natural man, when he hears these thoughts of God, if he's going to accept them as true, he is going to naturally feel like, man, I wish God would just give me some space. I don't want him to know everything, see everything, hear everything. 
There's an uncomfortableness that natural humanity is going to have with a God who knows all and sees all and hears all. And there's nowhere you can go to get away from it. Now, I want to back up, and I want to make sure that I'm super fair to David. And here's what I mean by that. I've just dealt with the words of the text. You've seen that. But, but here's the thing. Maybe I have, in, in, as the way I have dealt with these first few verses, I have made it seem as though David is saying that he's uncomfortable with this. And folks, that could not be further from the truth. Matter of fact, listen to verse number six. Listen to what David says about this. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain into it. I mean, I would catch that, folks. The very thing that natural humanity is going to struggle with and be very uncomfortable with and really not one at all, David David says, you mean to tell me, God, you know everything? God, you see everything? You hear everything? All the way down to the deepest parts of my thoughts? You know, and you see it all, and there's nowhere I can go to get away from it? Woo! This is wonderful. So now, folks, what's up with David? The very thing that causes the natural man to be very uncomfortable. David loves it. Um, I think we have options that we could consider. How about this? Okay, so how is this? How can this be the case? How about this? I know. I bet David was a man with no sin. That was it. David had nothing to hide. David was a man with no sin. Was that the case? My friend, he looked, he lusted, he coveted something that was not his. He devised plans. He connived, deceived, gets his chance to act upon his passions Uh Uh-oh, consequences come back. She's pregnant. So then the cover-up starts. Then the deception, more planning, more conniving. This time it leads to murder. More cover-up, more lies, so self-deceived. It takes the prophet Nathan with his finger in his face saying, no, David, you're the man. That's what it took for David for David to even see how deep his rabbit hole went. My friend, was David a man with no sin? No, David was a man. If we were going to talk about individual acts of sin, perhaps far beyond anybody in this room with adultery, with murder, And not even that, we know David, we see him, we see his struggles. God in his kindness doesn't lift up David like a superhero. We see his pride, we see his failures, we see his decisions, that the consequences of which rocked his family all the way to the end. My friend, David was not a man without sin. David was a man with massive sin. So why is it and how is it that David could come to these same truths that causes the natural man to be uncomfortable and not want God's presence? How is it that a man like David could come to these same truths about God and say, are you kidding me? This is wonderful. Because I believe he lays this out for us as we go through this psalm. As we pick up in verse number 13, I want you to look at his understanding of who this God is and how this God viewed him and how this God loved him. Verse number 13, first of all, David acknowledges that God was his creator. He says, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. 
And he continues on talking about how that God had made him. First of all, and I just want us to get this kind of out of the way. Are you ready? First of all, David acknowledges, God, you're my creator. And what that, why that's important is, first of all, and I don't know what your understanding is of God. I don't know what your understanding is of your own personal origin. But my friend, please understand me this. David is saying, you want to know why God has a right to know me? Because God, God made me. My friend, whether you want it or not, you have a creator. And someday you will meet him. But when David talks about that this God created him, it's not this cold-hearted, okay, fine, you got a right to know me. No, this terminology is full of intimate language. It wasn't just that his God had created him, it was that his God had fashioned him. Listen to what it says, folks. These words are precious to anyone who has spent the time to study. You go to that ultrasound and you see that little baby. And you see the little finger starting to form and you see the little body starting to come together and you stand in amazement over what David says right here. Verse 13, he says, For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knowest right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance. Yet being imperfect and in thy book, All my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Folks, not only was he saying that God was his creator and that God had made him, but the language that he uses, he's saying, God, you fashioned me. You put me together in my mother's womb. You wonderfully, and I don't think this is David looking at the mirror going, boy, God, you did a wonderful thing right here. No, no, no. He is just talking about the miracle of life. And he is talking about the wonderful works that God has wrought when he brings a human into this world. And David talking about his own life and talking about his own soul. Because, because listen, that last verse, and I'll read it again, and it's a little, I'll be honest, it's a little bit hard to, 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 to catch this, but let me just tell you what he's saying. Verse 16, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written. Now this phrase, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. That last phrase is actually talking, he actually moves beyond the womb. And he's not just talking about my physical makeup. He's talking about my life, the days of my life. He's saying, God, you didn't just fashion You didn't just fashion my body. You didn't just fashion the the physical makeup of who I am. You fashioned my life. You fashioned my days. Everything about me, God, you are the one who put this life together. And, and, And what he is doing is he is really with some incredible intimate and intricate detail. He's saying, God, you have been involved, intimately and intricately involved in who I am, all the way back to my conception. And my friend, if you want to move to the New Testament and listen to what Paul says about your existence, you actually have to back up to before the foundations of the world. What the Bible tells us about God's mind towards his people is that we have been on the mind of God for a long, 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 Long time. And David is acknowledging this. He continues on with the same thought in 17 and 18. He says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I wake, I am still with thee. What is he saying? He's saying, God, you actually, God, you think about me. Your mind is on me. Have you ever had somebody tell you they were thinking about you? Have you ever had somebody write you a quick note 
send you a text, quick Facebook message, quick phone call. I, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a friend just this morning. I, I, have, I have several who just randomly, um, I just get a phone call from them or a, or a text. This morning, I, I got a text from a friend of mine, a pastor in Indiana, just saying, hey, thinking about you, praying for you. You're on my mind this morning. Man, it encourages, it bolsters, it helps us to know that there's someone thinking about us. I'll never forget taking my daughter Ella. She's 15 now, but when she was little, I bet, I don't know, seven, eight, maybe nine, I don't know. She was little, she was much younger, and I took her with me to this, uh, this activity or this uh, retreat that I was preaching for teenagers up in the mountains, and Steph stayed at home with the boys and um, I remember I'd, I'd put Ella to bed and we're just kind of talking. She wasn't asleep and she had this little suitcase that mommy had packed for her and I'm pulling out her clothes for the next morning and I'm laying them out. And as I pulled out some clothes, I said, Ella, look, we got a note from mommy. I jumped up in the bed and she scooted up beside me and I opened it up and my wife Stephanie is saying, I miss you. I'm thinking about you. I love you. I can't wait to see you. Ella snuggled up against me. She said, Daddy, I want to go home. I said, me too, baby. Let's get out of here. What are we doing? Folks, what was my wife communicating to us when she told us that she was thinking about us? She was communicating that we are valuable to her. Listen to what David says. He said, God... You think about me. And he said, God, if I were to count your thoughts of me, he said, it would be like counting the sand. Folks, please, what is he saying? I don't know if you've noticed this lately. There's a lot of sand out there. There is a statement being made. David is saying, God, you think about me all the time. Can I tell you what David is doing over these past few verses, starting in verse number 13 and coming up through here, verse number 18? He is really helping us to understand why it is that he didn't, he wasn't going to run from God. The the very thing that makes the natural man uncomfortable, David called it wonderful, the all-seeing eye, the all-hearing ear, the all-knowing mind of God. David said, no, this is good news. This is wonderful. I can't wrap my brain around how awesome this is, David says. And here's why. Folks, and I believe he's laid it out for us in these few verses. And I just, it's a simple statement. But I really want us to wrestle with it. I want you to wrestle with it. Do you really believe this? You know what David believed? He really and truthfully believed that his God was for him and not against him. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that your God is for you and not against you? Can I tell you the truth? I really actually believe that a lot of believers struggle with this. I believe that believers think that he's for us. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a Christian. Of course he's for us. Died on the cross for us. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I believe he's for us. But it's sometimes I believe he's for us. It's not always. It's really dependent. Um, uh, Jerry Bridges, um, I love Jerry Bridges. Uh, he, he, he wrote a book, um, and in that book he, he talked about, he called it good day, bad day theology. I'll just tell you what it is. It's bad theology. It's that God is for me when I'm doing good. Well, yeah. When he's proud of me, he's for me. He's for me on my good days. Yeah, our theology starts to waver on our bad days because we can't get past believing that God's not a performance. Our acceptance with him, it's so hard for us to get past the mentality that his acceptance of us is based on our performance. I mean, so all of a sudden, good day theology. I mean, tomorrow's a good day. Maybe tomorrow morning, man, you get up, you spend time in the Word, you spend some time in prayer. I mean, sweet time. 
Man, I mean, you get up early and, and you sweet time with Jesus. Man, I mean, you got a song in your heart. You come down to the breakfast table, you're going to bless everybody at the breakfast table because you've been spending time with Jesus and he's, he's kind of oozing out of you. I mean, man, it's just people are fussing, not you. you got too much to be thankful for. You take off to work. Man, cars busy. I know Raleigh, crazy place around here to drive. But you just got so much joy. People are like, huh, huh. Man, you just can't stop singing. You've been with Jesus. It's just a sweet morning. You get to work. There's pressure, deadlines. It's fine. You feel it, but you just have a song in your heart. Joy and thanksgiving are just overflowing. Man, you get to 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a day like that, and you you feel like you and God are like this. Today, he's for me. Based on what? Your good day? I mean, let's say Tuesday's just a stinky day. Man, you stay up watching Carolina play. Don't they play tomorrow night? I think so. Anyway, you stay up late. Um, man, you, you, uh, you, you wake up late Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning, man, you, you don't have time for the word. You're throwing on clothes. You're scooting past the breakfast table, grabbing something. People are fussing. You bite right back. Man, off you go. Honk, honk, honk. Man, you got pressure. You got struggle. It's not that you've been thinking horrible thoughts towards God. You've just been so much, under so much pressure. You hadn't thought about him all day. Or maybe your thoughts have been full of immorality. Or maybe your thoughts have been full of just Bitterness or covetousness. Anyway, you go through a day like that and you hit three o'clock in the afternoon and the tendency for us is to be like, man, we feel like God's a million miles away from us. He was for me yesterday, not today. Based on what? Folks, what is the basis of God's acceptance of us? I mean, really. What is the basis of God's acceptance for us? Because I think we oh so soon forget it. This is Paul to the Galatian church, oh foolish Galatians. Who hath bewitched you? What is the basis of God being for me? Folks, it is based solely and completely. You know we can't add to it or take away from it. It is based completely on the finished work of Jesus Christ, period. And if we understand that, then my friend, we will understand that God is actually every bit as much for us on our worst day as he is our best day. His heart and his love and his acceptance, even his, I'm telling you, my friend, his smile are based on my union with Christ. And he's never stopped smiling at his son. Now, my friend, let me tell you why this is so important. Because if we don't understand this, we will not deal with sin as we ought to. Folks, if we still, even in our Christian life, are still performance-driven, then folks, we really will struggle being honest with ourselves. We'll struggle being open and honest with God. We actually, there's a lot of Christians, I really believe this, We revert back in our bad theology. We revert back to performance-driven Christianity. We know we don't get saved this way. And listen, I am in no way saying, hey, now that we're saved, just live it up. Matter of fact, I'm going to preach on that tonight in case you're thinking that's what I'm saying. I'm in no way saying, hey, man, grace is free. Let's just live in sin because God accepts me no matter what. No, my friend, if you listen to David, okay, David and the way he, he... Um, repented in Psalm 51 over his sin, that is not the prayer of a licentious man. That is the prayer of a broken man. My friend, I'm in no way saying, hey, since grace is free, then just don't worry about it. You're accepted no matter what. You are accepted no matter what. 
But folks, listen, that's what allows us to deal honestly with sin, not what gives us a license to sin. We have to understand what happened to us when when Christ died on the cross. We have been set free from sin. And the, the love that he now has for us is based on the finished work of his son. And he is for us and not against us. What more could he do to prove it? He spared not his own son. It's really like, like me. I've done this with my kids. I've done this with my kids and uh, I did it when they were young and I, I, don't really, I don't really do it that much anymore. I did it with my youngest not too, too long ago. And, and it, it doesn't, they don't get stumped on it anymore. But they got stumped on it when they were little. All the time. I, 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 I would have to deal with one of my kids. I'd have to, to he'd get in trouble and, and whatever the, the discipline I had, I had done. And I, 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 many times I did this to my son Joby, who's eight years old now. And I was holding him close and I said, hey, buddy. I just, I just disciplined him. And I said, buddy, does daddy love you? He said, yeah. And then I said, I said, does daddy love you even when you disobey? He said, yeah. Listen to this one, though. I said, Joby, but does daddy love you more when you obey? Think about that. How are so many kids going to respond to that? Does daddy love you more when you obey? Now, I've done it with him so many times. He said, nope. But folks, when my kids were little, I had to work with them on that because it's so natural in our minds that, well, daddy's going to love me more if I obey. Folks, do I love my son more when he obeys? I mean, he's a little funner to be around. But my acceptance of him, my being for him and not against him, my love for my son is not based on his good days and bad days. My love and my acceptance of my son is based on who he is. He's my son. Do you know who you are, sir? Blood bought, rescued, united inseparably with Christ. You are loved more than you have ever realized. What more could he do to prove it? And that liberty, the liberty that comes from that understanding allows us to be real and honest and deal with sin because we know he's for us and not against us. There is now no condemnation to those who are united to Christ. And so we deal honestly. We deal really. I mean, this is the liberty that the gospel brought into my life. This little Christian kid who grew up in a Christian circle. Christian school, Christian Sunday school, Christian family. And even though my parents and my church never taught me what I heard because I was blind and I couldn't see and I couldn't hear the truth. But my friend, I was so caught up on a performance-driven acceptance by God and I could not do it. And so I just gave up on it and I ran from him. But my friend, when I got saved at 21 years old and God started to do his work in my life, he opened my eyes. He did his work in me, convincing me of who I am, convincing me of who he is and what he's done. And my friend, my salvation, do you know what kind of liberty it brings? This is liberty. This is the freedom that comes in Christ. Folks, I, can, I am free to stand in the middle of the room And the exposing light of God's holiness can just beam upon me. And I can say, it's true. It's all true. I'm a cockroach. But I'm a saved cockroach. Why would I scurry and try to run from you now? Why would I try to hide? Why would I try to pretend? You see, that's where David's at right here. David is so understanding of God's heart and God's mind towards him that it leads him to the last two verses. Let's look at these and we'll be done. The last two verses of chapter number, of 139. 
verse 23 and 24. Listen, it's so, it's so close to the way he finished this. I mean, he started this, rather. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I mean, that's how he started this, right? Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and Lord, you have known me. Past tense. It's, so at the beginning of this, now check this out. At the beginning of this chapter, stated fact, God, you have done this. You've searched me and you've known me. And then at the last two chapters, David, he says, God, you know, after going through all this, I really want you to do something. I want you to search me and know me. It almost sounds like David is giving God permission. Now, folks, does God need permission to search you and know you? Yes or no? But it does show the submission of his heart. The submission of David's heart. He said, God, I know that you've searched me and know me. But God, I'm not hiding from you. I don't want to hide from you. And listen to the verbiage. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Test me. And know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. You know, you know David here is saying, God, I want you to, to test me. Try me. Put me on trial. And God, I want you to see if there be any wicked way in me. This isn't David saying, God, it's hidden deep. See if you can find it. I'm going to try to hide it. David doesn't even know how deep the rabbit hole of his sin goes. I think David is just saying, God, I don't even know how messed up my heart is. Does your theology allow you to accept the fact that none of us really know how bad we are? promise we are far worse sinners than any of us could ever understand alongside of that we are so far loved beyond what we could ever understand and so David is is coming saying God I don't even know what you're going to find I don't know how deep this goes but God search me test me See if there be any wicked way in me. I had a pastor friend of mine up in Michigan. I was preaching at his church. After I left the church a few weeks later, I had to call him. I don't even remember why, but I jumped on the phone with him. I said, hey, brother, talking to this pastor, I said, how's things going at the church? Here's his words. Are you ready? There's a pastor talking. How's things going at your church? He said, awesome. God's really kicking up some dirt in my church. Now, hold on just a second. How's it going at the church, Pastor? Awesome. Here's what he meant by the word awesome. That God was kicking up some dirt in his church. Is that awesome? Yeah. One of my jobs when I was a kid was to dust out the rugs through my house. We had rugs everywhere. And my mom always, I always had to dust out the rag, the one right in front of the kitchen sink. When I was little, we didn't, we didn't have a dishwasher. Me and my sister were the dishwashers. And I mean, all the time, hey, can you take this out and dust it? I'm like, oh, mom, I just did it a couple of days ago. It's not even dirty. You know, it looks perfectly clean. What a waste of time. It looked fine on the outside. Listen up, conservative Christians. We know how to look fine on the outside and down deep in the fibers of that carpet there was dirt and my friend it was a good thing for it to be brought to the surface and David here is saying God I want you to do a work in me God, I want you to search me. I want you to test me. God, I want you to root it out. God, I don't want to hide from you. David is like is saying, I want to be like a patient on the operating table. God, I want you to do your work. I mean, just think about an operating table, a surgeon. We, we willingly go to a surgeon. Do you know what that surgeon is going to do to you? He's going to cut you. You are going to feel the effects of what he does to you for weeks. And yet we willingly, we go and we lay on that operating table, don't we? 
I mean, you know, with the help of some anesthetics. But we lay on that table. Why do we dare? You know why we dare? Because we believe something about that surgeon. What do we believe? Yes, we believe he's going to cut us. But it's so that he can help us. Because we believe that he is for us and not against us. My friend, you want to know what these last two verses are of chapter number 139, verse 23 and verse 24? David is saying, God, I am laying on the operating table and I trust you. You are for me, not against me. And I want you to take the scalpel of your word and I want you to cut me deep. You have already done so much to prove your love to me through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You spared not your own son in order to save me. Why would I not trust you now? So God, I'm not going to hide from me, from you. I want you to take your word and I want you to cut me. And God, I want you to show me my heart, my mind, my motives. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that's right. My friend, as I was really wrestling through how I wanted to start this meeting, I wanted to bring us as a congregation to this last two verses and let us come and pray together right here. I, 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 I believe that when we hear the preaching of God's word, we all need to respond to it. I need to respond to it. This is God's word. We're responding to him and his word. This isn't like, hey, let's, uh, let's uh, you know, if you stay put, then you're not responding. Only if you come forward. No, we're all responding. So let's respond. I'd just love to turn this room into a room of prayer. And just for a few moments, I'm going to have Mike, my pianist, come and jump on the, on, the, on the piano. And just as he plays through a verse of an old hymn, can we just come to God and say, God, here we are. I want you to take your word. I want you to search me. I want you to know me. I want you to test me. I want you to try me. My heart, my motives, my mind. I'm not going to run from you, God. I'm not going to hide from you. You know how we come to God? We, we either come to God pretty tight-fisted. No, no, no. Everything's good over here, God. Uh-uh. No, everything's good over here. No conviction, please. And people who live that way, they don't understand the beauty of the gospel. People who really understand the gospel can say, here I am. I'm the biggest mess I know. But you're for me. You're not against me. You proved it on the cross. And I'm not going to hide from you now. Search me. Test me. Try me. Know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Oh, God, lead me in the way that's right. My friend, as we're coming into a few days of just digging into the word, I think it is so important for us to have this kind of heart. So may we come to him. Can we just have our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Mm-hmm.